Welcome to another inspiring message recorded at Thrive Church, a church passionate about moving people towards Jesus. It's awesome, eh? Morning, everybody. I want no rude comments about my shirt. Josh, coming up. Just want to see whose flowers are bigger. <laughs> my, son, my son Caleb, mine are bigger. Next week, Josh, you'll win. Caleb says to me this morning, my little guy is six years old, he says, um, Dad, whose shirt is that? So I said to him, mine, why? He goes, I feel like it should be mom's. <laughs> I said, the boy just needs education. That's what he needs. That's 10 o'clock. All good. The roads are emptying out in Joburg and the malls are filling up. So I recommend just drive around on the roads all day long and never get to the shopping. Just drive. Just drive on the highway. Enjoy a free highway. Enjoy like an like uncongested highway. Go through Galoolies at 100 k's an hour and just savor it. And One of those, right? So talking about December time, just um, they'll be up on the screen, just a couple notes for you, so just that you are able to know exactly what's going on in December time with regards to services. So today being the 15th and next week, Sunday being the 22nd, morning services, 8 and 10 a.m. only, no 5 p.m. service. However, having said that, the 24th, which is a Tuesday, um, the 24th will have a 5 p.m. service because it's Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve service will be happening on here at Thrive Boxburg, 5 p.m. And of course, then Christmas Day services on Wednesday the 25th, which is Christmas Day, 8 and 10 a.m. services. Just a note, the 5 p.m. on December the 24th, Christmas Eve, and the 8 and 10 on Christmas Day are identical services. They're all Christmas services. So you could choose whether you wanna be at Christmas Eve service or if you wanna be a Christmas Day service, they're gonna be the one in the same experience. So uh, pick and choose which of those you'd like. And then uh, just a note that on Sunday the 29th of December, there'll be no services either here or at Edenvale as well. The campuses will be closed. So you can come to church, but you'll be the only one in the parking lot praying for yourself. So <laughs> we got nothing else for you on the 29th. We're gonna take a breather and uh, just down tools for a Sunday and start the new year fresh and with a bang on the 5th of Jan with 8 and 10 a.m. services. Is everybody good? Shall we pray? And then let's get to it. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these moments that we get to be the church. Thank you that we can be in your house and there's such joy in your house, in, in your presence. And we pray this morning that you would work in our lives, that you would work strongly in our lives, that you would work powerfully in our lives, that you would work in our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I wanna tell you to start about the channel tunnel. It's also nicknamed the channel because it's a channel and it's a tunnel. It's a tunnel under the sea, and it links Kent in England with, uh, the U uh, with France, and a town called Calais in France. Did you know that this ch English channel, the channel as it's called, is um, at its lowest point, this thing runs 75 meters below the bed of the ocean, below the ocean floor, 75 meters. That's how deep this tunnel is. And it runs 39.7 kilometers long under the ocean. It is an incredible engineering 
feet. It's the longest underwater tunnel in the entire world. And trains are allowed to travel along this tunnel. They've got train tracks for it. And the trains go at 160 kilometers an hour. It also carries... In addition to passenger trains, it also um, carries cars and road vehicles and trucks and lorries and all sorts. So much so that, listen to this, in 2017, almost 21 million people went through the tunnel. 2.6 million cars traveled along it. 1.6 million trucks went through the tunnel. And 27 and a half million tons of freight was transported through this tunnel called the Channel, nicknamed so. Interestingly, there were plans to build this tunnel as early as 1802. Some guy had a brainchild to build this thing at, in 1802, but the plans were set aside because of concerns around national security. The English were worried that if they built this tunnel, the, the French would come and invade them, and uh, so they put a stop to it. But it finally did get constructed. Construction started in 1988. It was finished in 1994. It was projected to cost five billion pounds, I mean, that's a squillion and so rand. And uh, it, ended up, it ended up costing over nine billion pounds, almost double the initial estimates. Those of you who've ever built a house or done renovations, you always know that the costs at least double. This is what happened with it. But listen to this. In 1994, the American Society of Civil Engineers elected the tunnel as one of the, one of the seven modern wonders of the world. And it was voted the most incredible engineering feat of the 20th century. An amazing feat of engineering. What's so amazing about it is that a highway was built where it seemed there could be no way. Two worlds were linked. France and England were linked by this tunnel where it was thought those two could never ever be linked by road. Why am I telling you this story? Because in scripture, Jesus' coming, Jesus' coming to earth is described in scripture as the construction of a highway. As the construction of a highway, not under, not under the ocean, but as a highway that goes through the wilderness of our sin. Jesus' coming is described as a highway that links two worlds that could never previously have been thought to be linked, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. Jesus' coming is described as a highway that links man and God. Jesus' coming is described as an engineering feat of enormous significance that man and God are now able to be accessible to one another. It's described this way in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah gave a prophecy, and this very same prophecy, these very same words from Isaiah that are found in Isaiah 40, they are repeated. They are brought back by Luke, who Luke was a doctor. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke writes, and in Luke chapter three, he goes all the way back. I mean, he reaches back 700 years, and he pulls Isaiah's prophecy back to the future, and he says, guys, John the Baptist, this guy who announced Jesus, he was the one who was being spoken about when he says Isaiah had spoken of John. Luke chapter three, Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. So here's the deal. 700 years before Jesus comes, Isaiah says, there's gonna be somebody shouting in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. 
Luke writes to us, he says, guys, do you realize that John the Baptist, when he stood in the wilderness, when he stood there in a, in a dress of like camel hair, eating locusts and honey, he's the one Isaiah was talking about. What's he talking about? He's talking about the construction of the highway that would link God and man. He's talking about the gospel of Christ. He's talking about the life of Christ. John, when John stood in the desert and said, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, Jesus followed shortly thereafter. Jesus arrived on the scene and John is saying, this guy, Christ, he is the very highway between heaven and earth. Luke chapter three. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, here's a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled and the mountains and hills made level. The curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. This construction that the gospel of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus brings, this construction that the life of Christ brings, this highway that gets built by Christ having come, it does four things. Firstly, it, it fills the valleys. Verse five, it says the valleys will be filled. What do they mean? What does it mean that the valleys will be filled? Well, what are the valleys? The valleys are our deficiencies. The valleys are our doubt in God. The valleys are our doubt whether God has good purposes for our lives. The valleys are our worries. The valleys are our stresses. The valleys are our fears. The valleys are our self-hatred at times. The valleys are our depression. Here's the summary statement for the valleys. The valleys is that thought in our lives that says, I am not good enough for God. And the first thing that happens when the gospel arrives in your life, the first thing that happens when the highway gets built between us and God, that valley of deficiency that says I am not good enough for God gets filled. And Christ tells his people, I am the one who fills the valleys. You might not be good enough, but I am. Are you with me? What do the valleys tell us? The valleys tell us that our wounds are healed. The gospel heals our wounds. The second thing that happens is in verse six. You'll see it on the screen. The mountains and the hills are made level. So the valleys are filled in and now the mountains and the hills are dealt with. The mountains and the hills are made level. They are leveled. They are, are obliterated. What are, the, what are the mountains? What are the hills? Well, the mountains and the hills are our pride, our self-sufficiency. They're our anger. They're our tendency to look down on each other. They are the statement that pops into our minds so often, the thought system that lives in our world so often that says, I am good enough without God. You see, so while the valley says, I'm not good enough for God, the mountain of our pride says, I'm good enough without God. Are you with me? And the gospel addresses these two 
thoughts in our lives all the time. I don't know about you, but I vacillate, I alternate. I, I find myself living in one thought at one time and then in the other thought another time. Well, some, some days I go, oh God, I'm, never, I'm not good enough to do what I do. I'm not good enough for you. Other days I go, I'm, I'm good enough without you. Maybe that's you too. Sometimes I've got a foot in one camp that says I'm good enough without God, I don't need him. The other says uh, I'm not good enough for him, I could never be good enough for him. So one day I live in despair, the other day I live in pride. Anybody else like that? The eight o'clock had a lot more, by the way. Like, like a lot more. Edenvale, basically the whole service at that say that. Adam and Eve followed the same pattern. God says to me, can I have the whole garden? Just that tree, don't do it. So, so what do they go? They go, God, I want all of your garden. I'm good enough without you, I want all of your garden. After they've eaten of the fruit, after they've sinned and after they've fallen, what's the thought? God, we can't, we don't, we're not good enough for any of your garden. Are you with me? You see how human beings, we vacillate, we move from one thought pattern to the other. Both of them are opponents to the gospel. Both of them are opponents to the work of God in our lives. Both of them are in opposition to the work of God in our lives. Anytime you have a thought that says I'm not good enough for God, you know that's opposition to the gospel. Anytime you have a thought that says I'm, I'm good enough without God, you know that's opposition to the gospel. And what Isaiah is telling us and what Luke is telling us here as he remembers this prophecy is that when the gospel finds its way into your life, the valley of your deficiency, the wound that's deep within you that says I'm not good enough for God, that gets filled in. Jesus goes, but I am. The mountain of your pride that says I'm good enough without God gets leveled and he goes, you, you don't have a hope in hell without me. Are you with me? And so the mountains get leveled and the valleys get filled in. Dr. Timothy Keller said this, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. The gospel is only good news for you if you realize you're way worse than what you ever thought you were. The gospel's only good news if you know you're dodgy. If, if you know you're a skabanga, if you come to the point where you realize I am a complete and utter muku, I'm hopeless without him, then the gospel's good news. But if you're holding on to a thing that says I'm good enough without God, if you're holding on to the thing that says I'm a good person because I give to charity, I haven't cheated on my wife, I, uh, my kids are still alive, I haven't murdered them yet, etc. If you're if you're if you're holding if you're holding on to the semblance that you're a good person, the gospel's very mediocre news. But if you realize you are lost without him, if you realize you're way worse than what you ever dared to believe. If you get to that, then the gospel is, a, is ecstatic news. Then the gospel's magnificent news because the gospel says, yes, you're worse than you ever thought you were, but by the same time, you're more loved and accepted and saved than what you could ever have thought or imagined. And so the valleys get filled in, the mountains of pride get leveled, 
and then God begins to shape our lives. I want you to notice in verse five, it says the curves will be straightened. Now this is not a promise for women that your curves will disappear. I wish I could give you some prosperity gospel where you can name it and claim it. And in the name of Jesus, the curve disappear. I, can't, I got nothing for you there. Got nothing. <laughs> but what it's saying is that the landscape of our lives and the reshaping of our lives begins now. The curves will be straightened. Our lives, what does it mean? It means our lives take on a different shape. Tell you about a man called Francis. He was built, he was born in a little town called Assisi in Italy in 1182. He became known as Francis of Assisi. Eventually he was sainted or what do they call it? When they make you a saint? Canonized. What's it, Pastor Steve? You were Catholic? What's it called? <laughs> Canonized. Yes, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> He's Saint Steve. <laughs> So he got, he got canonized, became St. Francis of Assisi. Some of you may have heard of him. St. Francis of Assisi was an amazing man. He grew up the son of a wealthy cloth merchant, grew up in a wealthy family, the son of a businessman. He grew up learning and loving the fine things in life. But when he turned 19 years of age, he volunteered to go to war against a neighboring city, a neighboring town. He went to war against that town and they lost that war and he ended up being wounded in war captured and taken as a prisoner of war, where he spent over a year of his life in a cold, dark dungeon. It took his father over a year to be able to find him, locate where he was, and then to be able to pay the ransom for his release. Eventually, he was released and set free. But in the years after he was set free, Francis began to have visions from God. The final vision that he had, he had three visions. The final one of the visions was when he, he heard God audibly telling him, this. God said to him, repair my church, which is falling into ruins. Francis immediately began by taking a vow of poverty. He renounced all of his worldly possessions. He gave all of his money to the poor. In fact, his father, who wanted him to go into business, was so upset, so angry, so disappointed with Francis, so disappointed with the path that he had taken in life that he renounced him as his son. He, he disowned him as his son. And the story is told of how Francis and the bishop of the church and his father were all sitting, standing in the cathedral one day, having, and Francis and his father were having this big argument. Francis, as his father announced him, he took off his clothes. He stood there stark naked in front of his father and his bishop, gave his father all of his clothes back in a pile and started his vow of poverty and vowed to live like Jesus lived. He began to preach and teach in the neighboring countryside, but he had a vision for the world. Eventually, 11 followers joined him, and Francis decided that he wanted to be legitimized. He wanted his, his, um, his, his followers and him to be recognized by the church. So he arranged to go and visit the Pope one day. He, he traveled all the way to Rome for an audience with the Pope. The Pope wouldn't see him. But Francis wouldn't be deterred. He, he camped outside the Pope's office until the Pope finally relented and came to see him, gave him an audience. And Francis and his 11 followers went into the Pope's office, dirty, smelling, dressed just like vagabonds. But he, 
he cast a vision for what he wanted his followers to do in the world. And his vision was so compelling that the Pope recognized him. And Pope, uh, from that day onwards, Francis became well known. His ministry started to flourish. He attracted hundreds and then thousands of followers and they became known as the Franciscan monks after his name Francis. The Franciscan monks still exist to this day. They still impact the world by preaching and teaching and helping the poor. To this day, almost a thousand years after it was started. Why? Because one man's life got reshaped by the gospel. Francis's priorities got chucked out and Jesus gave him a vision for his life. His life took on a different shape. His priorities changed. Fourth thing that happens is the rough places are made smooth. Verse five, it tells us, and the rough places are made smooth. Have you got some rough edges this Christmas? It's the end of the year. We've had a 12 months behind us almost. Have you got some rough edges? Are you a little bit prickly? People come near you, they go, oh, that hurt. <laughs> Maybe you got rough edges of offense. The thing about offense is it's always taken, it's never given, hey. Maybe you got rough edges of unforgiveness. Maybe you got rough edges of stress. Rough edges of tiredness, rough edges of shortness with people, rough edges of irritability, rough edges of grumpiness. Maybe you got some rough edges. The promise is that the rough edges get smoothed and the lifelong process of becoming like Jesus smooths the rough edges. And the more we be with him, the more we become like him and the more we do what he did. Now, valleys are filled in, mountains are flattened, curved paths are made straight, rough edges are made smooth. The most important thing, the single most important thing out of these four things that you must know this morning is that each one of those things happens in our lives and it happens to us and we are the recipients of it. We are not the ones asked to go and do those things. I want you to notice that we are the passive party in that. Notice what the Bible says. It says that the, the valleys will be filled in. Are you with me? The mountains will be leveled. The, smooth, uh, the round, uh, curved paths will be made straight. The rough edges will be made smooth. It does not say fill in the valleys, level the mountains, straighten the paths, smooth the rough edges. Uh, the good news for you this December and for me this December is God does not give you another list of things to do to your already overwhelming list of things to do in December. God is not in the business of putting stuff onto us and saying, now listen here, smooth out your rough edges, fill in your valleys, sort out your mountains, are you with me? What happens is it, the promise in the scripture is that those things will happen to us. They will be done in us. They, they, they will take place in our lives. There's only one thing needed from us. That's found in verse four, which says, prepare. Prepare. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Verse four. 
there's only one first person imperative command given here. The command is not fill in your valleys, level your mountains, straighten your paths, rub your, get your smooth edges done, right? The command is what? Prepare. Prepare what? The way for the Lord's coming. Prepare your heart. Prepare your life for the Lord's coming. I'm gonna give you, because you might be wondering why I don't know how to do that this Christmas season. I wanna give you five practical ways that we can prepare ourselves for the Lord's coming in our lives. Is that okay? You all being helped in 10 o'clock? Firstly, can I encourage you to read Luke's gospel before Christmas? Read Luke's gospel before Christmas. Why? Because it'll give you Jesus. Read it to your kids too. Let them sit and listen to it. It'll give you Jesus. Luke's gospel gives us such a beautiful picture of Jesus' coming. Gives us, gives us the full story of the angels arriving to the shepherds. Gives us the, the journey of Joseph and Mary to Egypt. Just It gives us a beautiful picture. Can I encourage you to read Luke's gospel? It'll give you Jesus. Number two, can I encourage you to reflect and remember God's goodness this year just for 10 minutes a day? 10 minutes a day. God's goodness and His kindness to you this year. Why? Because that'll give you gratitude and it'll give you perspective. It's very hard to have a receiving heart when we've got an ungrateful heart. It's very hard for our hearts to be prepared for Christ when we're still grumbling about the year that was. Are you with me? If you take 10 minutes a day, it'll help you to give you perspective. It'll give you gratitude. No matter the circumstance, no matter the challenges. This is not an exercise in ignoring the tragic. It's not an exercise in ignoring the difficult. It is an exercise in identifying the goodness and the the kindness of God in the midst of the difficulties. I've got news, you know, I I think sometimes we, we we think, why don't we just have an amazing year? Why, why is the year not just amazing? Why can't it just be like, why can't it just be like Miss World? You know what I mean? Like amazing in every respect. You know, the hair's done properly and the makeup's done, and, and you know what I'm saying? Like, and we think our years should be a highlights reel. Does that make sense? I've got news for us. Every year, always, is gonna have good and bad. It's gonna be filled with tragedy and triumph. It's gonna be filled with difficulty and celebration. I think if we just get used to that idea, it'll help us. I think if we stop expecting a Facebook highlights package every year, it'll just be awesome. Are you with me? Anyway, where was I? You distracted me. (laughs) Perspective. Number three, worship in the car. Why? Because it'll give you joy. Have you noticed in Joburg, we wear our busyness like a badge. It's like a badge of honor. Oh, I'm too busy. Can't find time to worship. Can't find time to... Just everyone's busy. We'll worship in the car because we've got time in the car. Everybody in Joburg's got time in the car. So let's just worship in the car. I said to you, I just, I want to recommend a practice for Christmas. I just recommend you drive on the highways while they're free, while they're clear. There's no cars. Just just drive for like days on end. Like and just, just drive and just... And just don't go anywhere near the malls. The resource center's got gifts in it. You, you could get away this Christmas without ever going to the East Rand Mall. I think that's worthy of praise. I think heaven stops and just thanks God for, can, 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 
Can you imagine, just close your eyes, just in this moment, just imagine never going to the East Strand Mall. Seems too good to be true. No, but worship in your car. Why? Because it'll give you joy. Why? Because you've got time in there. Why? Because it'll lift you. Fourth practical idea is just eat together with someone important to you. Invite somebody over. Give them end of the month salty cracks if you have to. Why? Because it'll give you community. Number five, serve the poor in some way. It'll give you love. Instead of, instead of you, know, when the, you know when you get to the car at, your, at the parking lot and you've got the car guard and you think if I can just like look this way then it won't see me, let's get into the car because you don't have change. Stop for a moment and give the man or lady the dignity of a conversation. So how are you? What are you doing for Christmas this year? What's happening? You don't have to give them anything. But cook a meal for somebody who's battling. Cook a meal for a person that you see on the street regularly. Maybe there's some guy at the robot you see. You don't have to give them money. Cook them a meal. Bring them, bring them some dignity this Christmas. Serve the poor. Give away some toys from your kids. Make sure that before they load up on new toys, they're giving some toys away. Make them give some toys away before they receive some new toys so that they get their priorities right, so that they learn from the young age that there's a, there's, a, there's a priority set in life, there's principles in life in that we give first before we receive. We're not receivers who then give. We are givers who receive. Are you with me? If you've got spare clothes, maybe you've got old clothes, take them out of your cupboard, drive them to a hospice shop, deliver them to the hospice shop. They can sell them. They can help people die in dignity. If you've got stationery, bring it to the church. We'll collect it at the info desk. We're always needing stationery for both our missions work and shine work. Before you, before you simply receive, give some. Serve, serve the poor, I promise you, your heart will expand to 10 times the size. You all still with me? And verse six then is the promise and it's the result. Verse six tells us then, so after all this has happened, right? Then all people will see the salvation sent from God. Guess what happens? People see God's work in your life. People see Jesus in you. They behold the salvation that happens in a person when they see your life, when they see my life. Let's recap, let's respond this morning. Jesus' coming is likened to the most incredible engineering feat, the most incredible construction project ever. His, his coming is likened to the building of a highway that fills the valley of our wounds of unworthiness, levels the mountains of our pride and self-sufficiency, straightens our curves and shapes our lives smooths our rough edges. And all of this, guys, all of this, all of this, all of this is what He does in us. All of this is what He does for us. None of this is what you must do. None of this is what is being placed on you. All of this is we are a recipient of the grace of God in our lives. One thing is needed and one thing only. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Prepare the way. And as you do, as you read His Word, as you reflect on His goodness, as you worship Him this December, as you eat in community together and as you serve the poor, He reshapes us. He makes us more like Him. 
He works in us and He works through us. Shall we pray together this morning? Father God, thank you that we have the opportunity this morning, 10 days to go until Christmas, to in the season of Advent to prepare ourselves for your coming, Jesus. And would you help us to do that, we pray. Holy Spirit, would you help us to be doers of your word, not simply hearers? Would you help us to be people who put into practice what we've heard, not simply hear something and not act on it? Help us to do that. And as we do so, thank you that our hearts soften, our hearts enlarge, our hearts expand, our hearts fill with the joy of the knowledge of your coming. Thank you that we can stand here leading up to Christmas remembering, acknowledging that we are way worse than what we ever thought we were, way more sinful than what we ever thought we were, but so much more loved than what we could ever have imagined, so much more accepted, so much more welcomed than we could ever have conceived in our minds. thank you that that is the coming of Christ. And while we're in this moment, with every head bowed and eye closed, I wanna give you an opportunity to prepare in a first priority kind of way. Perhaps you're sitting here this morning and um, the way you need to prepare is first to invite Christ into your life. The way you're gonna prepare the way for the Lord's coming is to invite Him and welcome Him into your life. Perhaps you've been here this morning and you've never done that. You've never said yes to Christ in your life. You've never invited Him into your life. You know what the scripture says is that Jesus stands figuratively at the door of our hearts and He knocks. And anybody who opens their heart, anybody who softens their heart, anybody who decides in their heart to invite Him into their life, He comes in and He dines with them. He, he, he begins to share your life with you. He begins to share his life with you as well. Perhaps this morning, you, you maybe at some stage years ago, you made that decision. But truth be told, you've never lived that decision. Well, this morning, the great news, the great invitation, the, the most incredible news ever is that you've got a chance to say yes to him and come back. And the Bible tells us that God is like a father who stands waiting for his sons and daughters to come home. What an amazing opportunity as we head into Christmas for you to come home, that before Christmas day hits, you would make a decision to say yes to Jesus. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to respond. I'm gonna do a quick count to three. The reason we do that is so that everybody knows this is the moment to respond. And on the count of three, I'm gonna ask you just to slip up your hand. I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna say thank you. I'm not gonna call you to the front. I'm not gonna make you stand. I'm not gonna identify you in any way. I'm simply gonna say thank you. And I'm gonna include you in my prayer. So on the base level, ground level, up in the balcony, in the mom's rooms and in the parents' rooms, this is our moment to respond. On the count of three, if you wanna say yes to Jesus this Christmas season, that's awesome, thank you. Ready, one, two, three, hands up all across this place. God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. Thank you, God bless you. Thank you, 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 ma'am over there. 
Thank you. Up in the balcony. Thank you. I see you guys. Thank you, sir. Up in the balcony. I can see you. Up in the balcony on the other side, I'm looking for you guys. I want to see you. I don't want to miss anybody. If that's you, it would be my privilege. Thank you. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you, sir, over here. Thank you, ma'am, this side. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am, at the back there. Thank you, sir, here. Thank you, sir, there. Thank you. Come, let's pray together. Hey, 10 o'clock, will you be the church in this moment? Come, let's give full voice to our prayer. Please don't sit here as a passive participant. Be, be an active part of what God's doing. Come, will you pray with me? Say, Father God, thank you so much for your great love and your mercy and your goodness. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you love us, that you came for us. Thank you that you lived for us and died for us. This morning we say yes to you. We ask you, have your will and your way in our lives. We repent and say sorry for going our own way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, We hope you have been blessed and helped by this message. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.thrivechurch.co.za.